Okay, so um, we're in this series called Surprise the World. Um, it's really in response to the, the word that I believe God gave us as a church at the, the end of last year and coming into this year about growing up into all the stuff that he's already put in us and being mature believers. You know, actually making a use of all the things we've heard year in, year out and uh, actually living it out as opposed to just accumulating information. And uh, so the, the word was about growing and going. And I don't believe that as individuals, we can ignore something that's really very important. And the thing that I believe is really important for us to realize and understand and respond to is that we are at war. We are at war. It's an unceasing, relentless war that the enemy is waging and we need to respond. And for too long, we've, we've sat in our like, trenches or our control HQs and we've not responded. In fact, what we've done is we've ceded ground in this nation to the enemy. We, we've given way on so many things nationally. And we've given way on so many things as individuals. And I know it's, uh, it, it's stealing from, a, I guess, a series of books or, or whatever, or TV program that's, I guess, not very wholesome, but there is a clash of kingdoms. There's a clash of kingdoms, evil and good. And, uh, you know, part, the reason that I'm doing this series, Surprise the World, is we need to respond. And the way we respond is at the individual level. Now, for the rest of um, the talks that I'm going to do on this, for the rest of this series, um, what I want us to do, or what I'm going to try and do, is lead us through a process whereby sharing our faith becomes natural. And I want to base that process in the Word. So it's scriptural. Because we can all have plans, can't we? We can all have plans how we're going to bring about God's kingdom and fight battles and stuff like that. But there are plans. So we actually want God's plans. And uh, when God first started to, to show me this, he started to talk to me about how this, our, our nation, our city, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, all the people we come into contact with will not be effective or affected unless this takes place at an individual level. For too long, the church has ignored God's call to go. We've spent centuries telling people to come to us. And we need to go. And over the last few decades, we, we've been so concerned about people coming to us that we've missed that actually the enemy is taking the ground out there. And now he's battering at the door of the church. And it's time we need to fight back. And the only way we can fight back is to go and ride out as individuals. Now, here's the thing. Um, in talking through this, what I want to show you is, is it's like a cumulative thing. And at each stage, you'll be able to say, yes, I can do that. So before I even tell you what I'm going to say, just say, yeah, I can do that. I can do this. I can do this. Everything is simple. Now, it's not, a th you see, the thing about the kingdom of God is it's so simple, anybody can do it. The reason it fails is we don't do it. You see, we, we, we know so much stuff, and yet it's got to impact our life outside the building. And uh, one of the things that I, I find really interesting, and, and I also find it challenging and a bit sad, is that sometimes I'll talk to people who've, who've come to faith life, and they'll say, well, I really enjoyed it, it was great, but it was too challenging. So I've decided I'm going to go somewhere where I'm not as challenged. And, and I find that really sad, because... I'm not bothered about whether they come to faith life or not, but I am bothered about whether they realize the urgency of the hour we live in. And that as Christians, we're supposed to be challenged. We're supposed to be having an effect in the world outside us. 
Um, so I want to I want to take you uh, into just a couple of verses to start with, uh, one Corinthians chapter two, um, and I'm going to well I think I'll just do one word, uh, verse uh, verse fourteen one Corinthians chapter two, verse fourteen. Let me just find it. But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit. Does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. I'll go on to verse 15. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. Now, in this clash of kingdoms that is a war, I want you to... um, as I was, I was, I was looking at this and asking God, like, what do, you, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to help people with this? He, he actually led me by a sort of little rabbit trail to a um, guy that was talking about, and he, and he was stood, and there was this beautiful panorama behind him, beautiful harbour, and in that harbour there was a big battleship. And what it was, is he was talking about World War II. And he was talking about what happened when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. And the battleship stood behind him was the battleship Missouri, which was actually involved in that. But if you, I'm sure most of you know the story. The, the Japanese attacked America by surprise and wiped out virtually the whole of its navy in one attack, because it was all stationed in Pearl Harbor. And... What he, was, what he was talking about was actually how America recovered from that when it, when it looked like all its weapons had gone. And what he was saying was this, that at the start of the war, the Japanese had more planes and better planes. They had warships and America had no warships anymore. And the Japanese had better tanks than the Americans. So they had all the advantage. And he said, and in that, it's really, you know, you would struggle to say, well, how could we win? And what he was saying is that historians have looked at this and he's shown that actually they didn't win the war by being smarter and having better weapons. He's saying that historians, what what they say is that the war was won by productivity. The Americans basically had more people committed to it, more farms mobilized, more food, more uh, chains of supply, and that's ultimately how they won. Because that, that every individual acting overwhelmed the enemy. So it was a product of not that America set off in a better place. It was a fact that individuals mobilized en masse and it was more productive. And when you look at what's happening in the, in the, in the church world today and you look at where God is moving in South America, in, in the underground churches in the East, um, in, in Asia, there's, a, there's a, a really remarkable pattern about it. That the gospel is spreading and changing that society by one-on-one encounters. One-on-one encounters. That is the secret to the kingdom. One-on-one encounters that involve somebody meeting God through you. And there is no other way. History has demonstrated that. You know, even we, we talk about things like the Welsh Revival. It spread from person to person to person. And it was carried in, in the Welsh Revival by songs because that's the way miners communicated. A lot of them couldn't read, but they could remember songs. And, and it's one-to-one encounters. Here's the thing that I'm trying to get at. This clash of kingdoms, this war that we're in, takes place not at the level of an organization, It takes place at the cellular level, the individual cellular level. And um, what God is doing, I believe, is he's stirring us to raise an army of ordinary people. 
An army of ordinary people who will demonstrate and bring the kingdom and will, build, will show the reign of Christ. We went on uh, holiday, um, it's last June, so it's a, kind of a long time ago. I'm, I'm desperate for some sun. I don't know about you. It, it's my, I think it's about minus 15 in Bulgaria and snowing, so I'm not going to get any. So don't feel, don't feel like sorry for me or anything. But I'm desperate for some sun. So, but back in June, we had lovely sunshine. We were driving around France. And it being France, I decided that I would, as I was driving around and as Joe was pottering about, I would listen to an audio book. So I, I downloaded one on my phone. 71 hours worth it was. Les Miserables. I thought, as we were driving around the area, I'll listen to Les Miserables. Les Miserables could have been a much shorter book, I have to tell you that. Because every so often, he goes off on one. I mean, he like, he'll, he'll, do, he'll do 10 chapters about um, like what's happening in monasteries. And you go, what's that got to do with it? And it's all because he's going to have somebody visit a monastery for one chapter. But he tells you 10 chapters about the history of monasteries. Anyway, he has a, he, one of the things he went off on one on uh, was Waterloo and the Battle of Waterloo. And what he, was, what he was saying in this, and, and, he, and he charts a whole history of it, and he goes about Wellington and Napoleon and, and how Napoleon uh, marched, but then he couldn't actually attack because it rained. And, um, and then when he did attack, they, they sort of got it wrong and they attacked at the wrong end. And then the other guy, Blucher, the Prussian guy, he turns up and rescues the day and it all turns out bad for Napoleon. Now, this is a Frenchman writing, and he's saying, so what do I attribute this great victory to? Do I attribute it to the rain? And he says, no, no, it's not, nothing to do with the rain. Although he, he does say, God, it's really interesting, because he says, but I do believe that God raises nations and causes them to fall. And he's, he then says, what was it? Was it, Napole uh, was it Wellington's brilliance? And he sort of has a laugh at Wellington because he goes, no, it wasn't. He wasn't actually very good. And then he says, was it that Blucher was saved, came and saved the day? And he said, well, no, it wasn't that. And he said, so what is it that we can attribute the, the fall of, of Napoleon to? And he says, I can attribute it to two things. The first thing I attribute it to is God. That when a man grows so big... God has to redress the balance by pulling him down. The second thing he says, why did that happen? How did God pull him down? And this is what he says. I attribute it to the stubborn resolve of the British individual who would rather give his life than live in defeat and captivity. That's us, we are renowned for being stubborn. Stubborn can be an unfortunate attribute, but it's actually a real powerful attribute. And what he's saying is that this, this war, the Napoleonic Wars, were won by the stubbornness of individuals who refused to give in. And I believe that God wants to raise each one of us up to be that person, to be that stubborn individual who refuses to give in, who would rather give their life than live under the rule of the kingdom of darkness and be backed any further into the corner. So how do we do this? Well, the first thing that, when I was working through this, I had a little um, precursor to this that I tried out on people because the way God showed me is he said this to me. He said, Here's my patented method for evangelism, Mark. If you try this, it'll work, and it does work. But it's not very catchy. So his patent, God's patented method of evangelism, he showed me was this, was drink coffee, pray chess, listen, and pray. Now, you might not understand that, but that translates to me. That translates to drink coffee. In other words, it's going to be in a natural way, relationship. Play chess. Play chess is, when Matt was, this probably only translates to me, but when Matt was a kid, um, him and his friends used to get together and they used to have chess parties. And they weren't really that bothered about chess. 
except Matt, who wanted to win. Um, but they, they used to like sit there and contemplate life as seven-year-olds and as seven-year-olds do. And they used to do that, and they used to discuss everything and share everything and like offer advice to each other people, each other as seven-year-olds do. And the, the great thing about it is they're all still friends. They get together all the time. Even when they're in completely other ends of the country, they are talking to each other all the time on Xbox. And, and they're just great friends. But So that's what play chess means. So drink coffee, play chess, listen, and pray. So that's how he showed me. But it's not really easy to remember that, particularly if you, you haven't got a son who played chess. So I said, God, well, how are you going to do it? And he, and he led me. So I'm going to steal somebody else's letters. I'm not actually going to say the same thing as them, but I'm going to steal somebody else's letters because there's a guy who, who's wrote a book uh, whose title I nicked for this series, but he's wrote a book and he, and he uses these letters. And so I'm going to try and lead you through it using those so it's easier to remember. Um, so this clash of kingdoms, how does it take place? This clash of kingdoms occurs because... It should be, and according to Jesus, it should be the natural result of living in allegiance to him. You don't have to go looking for the clash, is what he said. It'll come to you. So what we have to get right is our allegiance. And our allegiance needs to be more than being a member of a church. Our allegiance needs to affect our lifestyle. So there's a, there's a passive passive element to this clash and the passive element comes along like this is that when you live with an allegiance to Christ the Holy Spirit in you will rub up against things and cause friction and that will produce the clash it's a it's a passive thing now so when we're not experiencing that we we should be be going to the Father and saying, Father, what is it that's missing in that? Because, you know, how is my allegiance faulty? Am I giving allegiance to, to, to things and putting things as more important than you? And, and, and ask him to sort that out. You see, when you're living with an allegiance to Christ, the values in you should grate with the values of the world. They shouldn't fit. They should grate. They, sh they should upset you, they should disturb you, they should uh, stir you to want to do something, to, to want to do something about it. But when our allegiance weakens or we get distracted or we get off on other things, we find ourselves not grating with the values of the world, but we absorb them. And, and, and we, we become people who live by the priorities that the world lives by instead of the priorities of the kingdom. So we need to kind of go and ask God and say, look, I don't, I, I'm not getting this grating. And, uh, you're, you know, Jesus said I should do. Because he said I, I should have troubles. I should have, you know, people challenging me. I should feel uncomfortable in this world. And if I don't feel uncomfortable, God, what, what's the issue? What's going on? What's going on with me? Now, so that's the passive aspect of this class of kingdom. There's also um, a positive aspect. Um, and this positive aspect is the one that, remember I started off this series by saying we, we need to do things more naturally. And to do things more naturally, we need to form some new habits. So this is the first habit, the first lifestyle thing that we want to build in. And remember, one of the things I said is that it won't feel natural. Uh, the more we do it, the more natural it will become until it becomes a lifestyle. So this needs to be a lifestyle for all of us. And it, for, you know, I'm gonna, I know when I put this word up, I'll get all sorts of reactions. You're not going to tell me those reactions, but I know I'll get them. Because we're all in different places and we've all heard formulas, we've all heard ideas, we've all heard you know, do this, do that. And we've all tried all sorts of different things, but what we haven't done is build them into a lifestyle at the cellular level of every individual. And here's the word. Here's your first word. Bless. 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 
Why do we want to bless people? Why do we want to be people of blessing? Because we want to be like God. Okay, that's good. Here's the thing. Blessing, I know we did it a couple of years ago. Blessing isn't a 30-day project. Blessing should be a lifestyle that we live out the rest of our lives. So there's a, there's a leap that, that we need to make at that cellular level because we kind of, we, we, we do some great things to bless people as a church. Uh, we, we, we help people, we look after people, we do grow baby, we do all sorts of stuff to bless people as a church. But at an individual level, in a natural interaction, every one of us needs to mobilize on it. And if we've, if we've got to that point where we're going, these values aren't grating, and we're going like, okay, the passive side in, in my life isn't quite in order yet. One way we can kickstart that is to do a positive, active side by blessing, actually de deciding to bless. Why do we bless? Well, yeah, the, the answer is we want to be giving because God's a giver. But more importantly, the reason we bless is this. It's countercultural. It's subversive. It's guerrilla warfare. You know, when, uh, whenever th there's a nation that has never really been conquered, although it's always been on the border of every great empire, which is the Afghan nation. Why does it not get conquered? Because when they go looking for them, they're not there. They fight guerrilla warfare all the time. They, they, they don't hold on to possessions. They, you know, if they see them coming and they're in their city and they see the enemy coming, they desert the city and they don't care because it's not about the city. It's not about the possessions. It's not about what they have. It's about fighting the battle to win the war. So they go and hide and they fight guerrilla warfare. Blessing is countercultural and it's guerrilla warfare. And it's something that every single one of us can do. Just say, I can do this. You know you can do this. It's like anybody can do this. Horrible people do this. So at least as Christians, we should be able to do it, shouldn't we? Okay, here's the thing. If that was just my idea, it would just be my idea. But it's actually God's idea and God's plan. And it's been God's plan, not just in the New Testament, but from the very beginning. He gave Adam and he placed him in Eden and he told him to make the earth fruitful, to multiply, to take the blessing of Eden and spread it across the earth. It's always been God's plan to bless people in order for them to be a blessing. He blessed Adam in order that Adam would bless the world. That was the original plan. And then when he calls to his own people to him through Abraham, he says specifically to Abraham, you are blessed to be a blessing. And the nation that I'm calling you to be the father of will be blessed to be a blessing. This is how it works. This is how God gets his kingdom to people who aren't currently in his kingdom. We are blessed to be a blessing. And, you know, Israel, the original, you know, one of the purposes of God for Israel throughout the New Old Testament period was that people would see how blessed they were as the people of God and it would draw people to God. You know, it draws the Queen of Sheba. She sees the blessing on the kingdom and comes to see what it's about. And we know that because when Paul talks about the future, what's going to happen um, to both the Gentiles and, and the Jews right at the end of time, one of the things he says is that his blessing should rest upon the Gentiles, that's non-Jews, in such an extent that it stirs the Jews to come back to him because they recognize that that blessing is theirs too. That it was pronounced in Abraham and it's still theirs too. And that they, they should see it on us as the church. How do they see it? Because we give it away. We bless them. Are you getting this? So it's always been God's plan. It's not a throwaway word. It's not like a a great idea to, to grow a church or build a church or, or whatever. It's God's plan. The first step is we should be blessers. We live a lifestyle that surprises the world because this is not how the world lives. 
It's not how the world can live because it's too concerned about providing its own blessing for itself that it forgets that God provides a blessing to us to give away. And so here's the bottom line. We can start to create a habit in this. But if we're going to create a habit, we'll have to do it deliberately. Remember what I said. That's why I did that first talk a couple of weeks ago. If you didn't hear it, go back, listen to it. It's helpful. You'll, you'll get a lot out of it. It'll really put this in context. Here's the thing. Here's the way you get this habit. Think about this week. And bless three people. Bless one person from church, from your church family, and bless one person who's not in the kingdom. And the third one, up to you. That's just to make you extra generous and extra kind. But bless three people every week. Because we want this to become a lifestyle, not something we talked about one Sunday morning, and it'll reappear again in five years' time. In, in some other talks. It wants to become a lifestyle. And to do that, we need to build in that we bless three people every week. Okay, say to me, I can do this. I'm not asking you, do you want to do it? I'm asking you, can you do it? Everybody can do it. Every single person on the planet can do this. The question is, will we do it? Because that's what God has set up so the world sees we're different. We're to be a blessing people who, who, who bless because we know that God's our provider. So where does bless come from? I'll give you a little bit of background because these are the sort of things that get me excited on a, at 7 a.m. in a coffee shop. Blessing, the word blessing comes from an old English word, bletison, yeah? which comes from a German word, bloodison. So we've got like a softer version, haven't we, Germans? Bloodison. <laughs> so that's where it comes from. And, and, and it's the word bloodison. What it means is this. It means to hallow by sprinkling blood on pagan altars. That's where our word blessing comes from. And what it was, it was this original concept of taking the things of, of, the, of the world and making them sacred by redeeming them through the blood. And so that's, that's kind of where it comes from. Now, when you look in the, because I like to do these things, when you look in the etymology of the word, like where it all comes from and how it all fits together, um, it's actually used to translate, the, the word, when you see the word blessing in the New Testament, it's actually used to translate a, a Greek word, euolegion, euolegion, that sort of thing. Anyway, like that. That sort of word. And that word means to speak well of, to praise, to pronounce happiness on someone or make happy. It also carries the idea of adding strength to somebody else's arm. Adding strength to somebody else's arm. And uh, so that's why we get this idea of blessing being to do something for somebody else. And it's about positively doing something. So it's not a passive thing, it's an active thing. You, the word bless is used like always actively. It's something like you determine to do and you do it. And so what does it mean to add strength to somebody's arm? So I'm going to give you some simple things inspired by my wonderful life who gets wife, who, who gets books on these sort of things and for how, how to be how to really love people and that sort of stuff. And then she tells me and, and, and says, so, now you go and do it, Mark. And by the way, that's mine. I like that one. That, that's how it works kind of around our house. So I get the education and then get told how to apply it to Cheryl. And to add strength to somebody's ma uh, life means to do anything that reduces the burden in their life, gives a lift to their spirits, gives a... Um, um, something that alleviates distress or something that just like encourages or builds up uh, or surprises them in a positive way. 
Here's the thing about blessing. I'll give you three traits of it. Blessing is deliberate. You will not do this by not thinking about it. You actually have to think about it and determine you're going to do it. So blessing is deliberate. It's countercultural. And it's warfare. It's deliberate, it's countercultural, and it's warfare. So how can we do this? Well, this is, this is where I, I delve into Cheryl's books because I'm going like, okay, it's fine saying this to me, me God. I can think of like two ways I, I could bless somebody and then I run out of ideas because I'm not. What, what do you do? And so this is where Cheryl's extensive library of books with hearts on the front works. And is, is one way you can bless people. Words of affirmation. It doesn't always have to be like, you know, you, you buy somebody a new Porsche. If anybody wants to buy me a Porsche, you feel free. But it doesn't have to be that. Words of affirmation are good. Um, this famous author, you know, you recognize him from Huckleberry Finn and all that sort of stuff, called Mark Twain. And he said that he could live for two months on the back of a good compliment. Because it's it changes, it, somehow it changes your outlook in the world. People, it's just so important that we, we actually say to people, good job today, well done. I really saw you trying there, that was fantastic. I saw your heart in that, that was brilliant. Um, Cheryl's, uh, one of her books that she actually uh, preached on, Cheryl did a preaching her once, to, to the students on the five love languages. It was for Valentine's Day, I remember it. And... Uh, one of the things about the five love languages is this, that they, they, they enable us to understand what's a blessing to somebody else. So what's a blessing to me might not actually even make much impact on you. You go, okay, that's nice. But it's kind of understanding on that basis. And um, I've got a quote from, from that book, which I've got on here. I just want to read it to you. can't find it now. It's full of Rachel's wedding pictures. Here we go. Um, so what it says here is that it's talking about words of affirmation. And it says it's one of the five lo love languages, but it needs to go further because it needs to be from empathy, not just something you're doing. And this is what he says. Encouragement requires empathy and seeing the world from another's perspective. We have to first learn what is important in the other. Only then can we give real encouragement. With verbal encouragement, we're trying to communicate this. I know, I care, I'm with you, how can I help? We're trying to show that we believe in the person and in his abilities or her abilities. We are giving credit and praise because we understand. And I just think that's really powerful because it's something that comes from the inside. And here's the thing, when we start doing this deliberately, what is inside us will come out. What is inside us? The fruit of spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what will come out when we start doing it. But we need to change our habits. We need to change our programming, our thinking. So are you getting this? So what else? You know, acts of kindness are a good way to bless people. I remember, like, as a kid, uh, my dad worked in his factory and, and he had loads of mates. And any time anything needed doing on our house, a bunch of his mates would turn up and do it. And, like, they'd, like, take fireplaces out and put new fires in and lay drives and all that and... And then occasionally bring his salmon that had been poached and, and <laughs> things like, you know, like, like dad's mates do. And then my dad would regularly disappear and he'd be laying a drive at somebody else's house and stuff. Acts of kindness are really powerful. And it used to be quite cultural in the UK, but it's something that isn't quite so cultural now. Um, in fact, acts of kindness was so... Uh, recognize that it's actually one of the things that's ingrained into the alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous steps that they, that they take. 
And basically, they, they have a promise card. And on this, I'll read you what it says. On this promise card, it says, I will do somebody a good turn and I will not get found out. If anyone knows of it, it will not count. Now, I'm not advocating good turns in secret. I'm advocating good turns, full stop. Um, and so that, that's something that we can all do. How do you find out who needs a good turn? You relate to people, you talk to people, you, you're friendly to people, you care about people. We can do this. We can do this. How else can you bless somebody? Well, you can give them a gift. And at, it was at this stage, I thought you might be like a bit bored and a bit switching off. So I thought I'd bring a gift. And, and basically, they're selling off tins of chocolates cheap in Sainsbury's <laughs> after Christmas. So, so they've been reduced. So we can send them round and you can think, bargain. Mark got a bargain. And you can be blessed. Now, here's the thing, girls, on the back row, and Nathan and Kwame. When it gets to you, that doesn't mean you just accumulate the three tins on the back row. You send them round again. That's how this works, okay? Right, that'll keep you quiet while I finish off. But gifts are great because what gifts are is they are random I thought of you moments. And they have a big impact on people. Random, I thought of you moments. I remember um, Joyce Meyer years ago telling this story. Um, she just bought, saved up, and she just bought this really expensive new coat. Fur coat it was. We, we don't mention the fur. Really expensive coat. And, and she, she loved this coat. And she saved up for it, gone and bought it, and she... She was thanking God for it in prayer, and God said, I want you to give it to that lady over there. And she said, no, she doesn't need my coat. <laughs> and she had an argument with God. I, I have arguments with God. I have not won one. I don't, I don't know why that is, but I just never win an argument with God. But anyway, she had an argument with God. And she said, that lady doesn't need it. She's richer than me. She has a lot more money than me. She, have you seen her house, God? Like, she does not need this coat. And God said, I want you to give it to her. So Joyce took her precious fur coat and gave it to this lady. And it broke that lady's heart. Because although she had all those things, she didn't actually realize anybody cared about her. And it changed that lady's life. So we need to be aware of the things that the Holy Spirit prompts us to do. What I'm looking for, and I think this is a really kingdom principle, is I'm looking for blessing ricochets, where it bats around all over the place, where you're doing, uh, you know, three good things, three blessings each week, one for somebody in the church, one for somebody outside the church, and one just because you felt like it or God prompted you to it. And, and it should ricochet around. It shouldn't, it, it, it's never even. But, you know, if we all have this heart, eventually God will get, round, get to us what we need. But more importantly, he'll get to people outside what they need. Now, here's some things I want to say. And, and, and I want you to understand this, that blessing people is an expression of being rooted and grounded in love. And when Paul talks about being rooted and grounded in love, I'll just go to Ephesians chapter 3. This is what he says. That he would be, I don't, I don't think I put this on the slide, I'm just going off on one. That he would grant you a to the riches of his glory to be strengthened. Remember girls, send them forward again. No, don't take handfuls. <laughs> The riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, so that you can be filled to all the fullness of Christ. There's something about operating in love deliberately that opens our hearts to a place we can comprehend God's love and allows us to be filled with all the fullness of God. 
He wants to be filled with the fullness of God. Yeah? So the, the thing that, 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 that is the key to getting this there is being rooted and grounded in love. So this is good exercise. This is like a, a New Year's resolution alternative to going to the gym. It's good exercise for your inner man. It's good. It'll keep your heart healthy. There you are. That is a big problem. It'll keep your heart healthy because it will allow you to be open to the fullness of God manifesting in your life. That's what Paul's saying. That's what he, he's praying for them for. Now, here's the thing. How, how can I put this? No. You need to pass them on, Dennis. In fact, it's a good day for you to take up fasting. <laughs> Here's the thing that happens. Um, there was, this, this was an actual... Mine. Mine. <laughs> Here's, Here's the thing that happened. They, there was some, uh, they did a research project a few years back. Not, not many years back, a few years back. And they sent... Uh, Basically, they were tracking a lot of missionaries who were sent to Thailand. And these missionaries, they were sent to Thailand, and they were given, deliberately, because it was a research project, different mission strategies. And they split them, effectively, into two groups. The first group was called the blessers. And their job was simply to go around blessing people whenever people came in the way, listen to the Holy Spirit, and look for opportunities to do good things for people. So they were the blessers. The other people were given a mission strategy, and their mission strategy was to evangelize and convert and preach the gospel to everybody they encountered. So two completely different strategies. Now, at the end of the, the time period, what they found out was that the people who were the blessers had a greater social impact. Well, you would expect that, wouldn't you? Because that's what they're doing. They're doing social impact things. Here's the interesting bit, though. At the end of the project, they found out that the blessers had 50 times more conversions than the converters. That's powerful. That shows that this is God's way of thinking. That, that it opens people's hearts when they see the goodness of God. Are you getting this? See, it's not, it's not intended to be sort of some little clever idea. It's, God, it's a God thing. It's right through the word. So I just want to clarify a few things before I, I, I kind of finish off. Because we can go herring off and we can say, right, this is great. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. Got what Mark was saying. And if we don't keep these things in mind... Somewhere in two or three weeks' time, this will have totally metamorphosed into something else. So here's my first thing to be aware of. You are not blessing in order to convert. This is not a method to go on a scorecard. You are blessing in order to bless. And guess what? The world can tell the difference between the two. It can tell the people who've got an agenda and the blessing to convert the same as they can tell people who have been kind in order to get them to come to the Christmas service. They can tell. People are a lot cleverer than we sometimes give it credit for. So we're not blessing in order to convert. We're blessing in order to bless. Full stop. You can't predict where the results will be. You can't predict what the Holy Spirit's doing in a person's heart. You can't... You, you can't do this and go, if I do that, that, and that, that person will get saved. It doesn't work like that. The kingdom doesn't work like that. That's why Jesus tells all the stories, like the parable of the sower and things. You can't tell. You just have to be. And, and our nature is to be a blesser. If we are born again and we've got the Holy Spirit in us, one of the things we should be saying is, if I'm growing and maturing as a believer, I should be a blesser. It should be a natural thing that I'm doing. If it's not, then again, we have to go to God and say, how can I kick this, kickstart this God? And he says, bless three people this week and next week and the week after. And it'll start working for you. You'll draw it out of your spirit. So 
Here's the second thing. To be for the, uh, the right word. To successfully bless somebody, the other person has to feel blessed. That's why things like, you know, like talking to people and finding out what is actually a blessing to them. You see, I'll have different reactions to this box of chocolates going around because I know for certain one person here doesn't have, doesn't have chocolates. This was not a blessing to Jude. She just doesn't have chocolates. So, and I know some people who don't like chocolate. They're weird people, but I know that <laughs> there are some people that don't like chocolate. I have to live with this on the opposite desk all week. No chocolate. No chocolate consumption. Good point. Yeah. There's, there has been occasions where I've left my drawer and my desk unlocked and the chocolates have still been there the next day. Yeah, because she doesn't like them. But we have to know what's a blessing to people and so that they feel blessed. Here's the thing. If people feel manipulated, they will not feel blessed. Go with me, and this is my last verse, to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 or 4. Verse 2, chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, not all 4. Well, you can read whichever one you want. I'll read both. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Look at the person next to you and, go, and, and just, I'm not asking you to say anything, but just picture them as more important than you. This is easy for me. I'll look at Cheryl. Roger could look at Olive, it works like that in three. But just look at the person next to you and regard them actually as more important than you. That's what Paul's telling us to do. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests in this, but also for the interests of others. To really bless somebody, they have to feel blessed, and they won't feel blessed if you do it with an agenda of manipulation or control. I have seen some incredibly generous people who did all their generosity from a spirit of manipulation and control. And in that way, kindness becomes horrible. And so we're blessing because we're blessed by God. We're blessing because we have no worries because God's our provider. And we're blessed because it's the heart of God being reflected in us and it's ingrained in our spirit. So we're trying to get in touch with who we really are and not carry on bowing down to the priorities and, and plans of the world. The enemy's at the door and we need to fight back by becoming who we really are. And blessing people will enable us to do that. Here's the, here's the last thing I'll say to you, that we need to become students of those whom we're blessing. Okay, that's not as obvious as the other two. What do I mean by becoming a student of those we're blessing? Well, go back to my first thing. Drink coffee, play chess, listen, pray. You need to listen to what's going on in the people's lives that you're trying to bless. Firstly, so you can bless them in a way that's meaningful to them. But secondly, so you know how to respond to the things they're saying. We need to be aware of the Holy Spirit's interaction in this because he's the one that's working in hearts. So we need to become students of those we're blessing. By that, what do you do if you're a student? You listen. You listen to what their um, issues are, their thoughts, their concerns. You know, when, you, when you're sat in his class, the teacher tells you what they want to want you to, to learn. Any conversation, people are telling you what is important to them. And we listen and then we ask the Holy Spirit, how do I respond? How do I respond? How do I respond? We cannot afford to stay within our walls and let the enemy batter down the door. When we think that the, the church is about 
encouraging and finding ways to get people to come and we don't send them back out again, what we are doing is we are encouraging more people to hide behind the doors that the enemy's at with the battering. We have to go as individuals. We have to affect people, lives around us at a cellular level. An army of ordinary people sent to demonstrate the reign of Christ. That's what we're about. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to get you to do a little exercise. Because when I get when I pray for you, I'm finished. But you aren't. This is oh, it's an interactive sermon. Oh no. Oh I panic on people on, on your faces. Here's what's what we'll do. I'm gonna pray right now, and I'll tell you what we're gonna do. Not gonna well, yeah, we are gonna drink coffee. Good point, Roger. Step one. Okay, Father, I thank you. I pray, Lord, that you would stretch forth your hand by your Holy Spirit and you would speak to our hearts. Like Paul prayed that that the Ephesians would understand your love. Like he prayed that their hearts would be opened with a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of understanding. I pray you will do that in our hearts, Lord, by your spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would draw out of us and stir up within us those fruits of the Spirit that the world needs to see. And I thank you for that, Lord. Amen. Okay, I'm done, you're not. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get, get your phone out or your notebook out or a scrap of paper or whatever you've got with you. And I want you to write down three people you're going to bless this week. One in the church one not in the church, and then your third one's up to you. Just have a think, and then I want you to, just as a two, to pray for those three people.